Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 133 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Sunshine. Sunshine is from Maine, where she is a psychiatric nurse. Welcome, Sunshine. Hi. Oh, and I love your name. I was just going to say I love your name. Thank you, my friend. I was very nervous. And she's like, I can hear Jen's voice saying, I love your name already. Oh, did she, she say that, that to you? To oh, my gosh. Is your friend a psychic up there in Maine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do love your name because sunshine is one of my favorite things. And I like the whole idea of a sunny personality and a sunny day. And there, there's nothing better than sunshine. Okay. So, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? So way back, I don't remember the dates. I read Michael Mosley's 5-2 diet mm-hmm. or fast diet and watched his documentary and was like, oh my God, that sounds great. So I did some fasting that way, but it was brutal because he didn't talk about the clean fast. So I did that like maybe for three or four months. I lost a bunch of weight. I felt really good, but I was like, oh, this is awful. So I kept quitting. And then I started again, quit. So then I just didn't fast for a long time. And I gained and gained and gained weight. And then I read, well, then my husband got diagnosed with diabetes. So then he was prescribed the book Obesity Code by his doctor. I love that. I love that his doctor prescribed it. (laughs) Well, his nurse snuck it in more than the doctor. And then he was told to read it, but he didn't because he doesn't like to focus on diet. And then, so I read it anyway, and was like, oh my God, this fasting thing, again, it comes up, but it was different with a clean fast. And so I Mm -hmm. tried it 
on behalf of him so I could set an example. And he watched me get better. Like he just watched my mind get better. He watched me get happier over the course of two months and he joined in. But I love that. He was also given this funny advice. Like he was like told to eat snacks and given the obesity code. So it was really confusing <laughs> at first for him. <laughs> that does sound confusing. So fast, but also have snacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he started fasting and we fast together now and it's great. I love that. So he initially, did he think the idea of fasting sounded crazy? I don't know. Honestly, I don't remember. I remember him thinking, well, whatever you want to do, I guess. But he didn't want to do it. Okay. And this was 2018? This was, he was diagnosed in December of 2018, but I started fasting January 15th after I finished the book. In January of 2019? Yep. So as a nurse, what part of the obesity code really stood out to you the most? Or what, you know taught you things you didn't know, or maybe turned your training upside down. Of course, I know psychiatric nurse is different, but I mean, you're yeah. still a nurse. <laughs> we, we get so many patients with diabetes and PCOS and just general depression. And they're like, oh, I don't like how I weigh, you know, they weigh too much and they just don't feel good. And so I was thinking about them and me too, because I weighed too much. It didn't feel good. And so the insulin spikes was the thing. I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. And the fat storing of it. Yeah, I actually, that was, of course, what really, you know, from, from reading my books, that's what really opened my mind up after reading The Obesity Code was realizing, oh, it's not just mm, calories in, calories out. There's so much more to it. And it it was shocking to realize that we had just been missing that whole piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it was really sad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why are they giving you this advice to eat? I was really frustrated that his doctor was also giving him that nutrition advice. It really is. Fr- why, why do they? What do they think that eating frequently is going to do for diabetes? I'm really, really interested to w- wonder why. I think because they think you'll eat less because you're eating enough, like frequently enough that you don't need to eat huge meals or something. Or I maybe don't know. I'm the opposite. <laughs> I know. Maybe you won't snack on cookies because you're eating healthy snacks or something. Okay. I just, I, it just suddenly came to me. I'm like, why would they tell a diabetic to eat frequently? I, maybe they also are wondered about, worried about their blood sugar dropping. Yes, possibly. Yep. That could be it as well. You know, keep those constant snacks to keep your blood sugar up, <laughs> from, keep it from crashing, right? Yeah. I know with many of our patients, they like, get they have diabetes and they're given snacks by the nutritionist and that's because if they don't get a snack they'll just go ravage the kitchen which has cereal and juice so if they give them a sandwich with meat in it or something then or peanut butter then they might eat less from the kitchen that'll keep your blood sugar better regulated than if you had that cookie say yeah that makes sense if you're watching just that blood sugar control you know something that it comes in a little slower. So when you first started after reading the obesity code, what what fasting were you doing? I was start I had a 16 hour window eating window when I started. A 16 hour eating window? Yeah. Like I started, I woke up at four in the morning, I went or three thirty, I went ate a breakfast, I went to work, I ate a snack at like nine. 9.30, I'd eat a lunch, I'd eat another snack at 4.30, and another meal at 8 when I got home. So I really ate for 16 hours. So what I did <laughs> is I shrunk that up. Yeah, really slowly. So I started skipping breakfast and eating the 9 a.m. snack, and then just slowly, really slowly decreased that. That makes sense. I was confused at first because I thought that you were, when you did the 16-hour eating window, that was your fasting. And I'm like, that's the longest window. That was pre-fasting. Now it makes sense. I get it. But you're right. That I'm pretty sure that I I ate, let me think, back in the day, I would have breakfast probably 6.30. Oh, yeah, I I was eating, and I'd probably have something 9 at night very frequently. So, yeah, yeah, we, we were eating a lot of the day, weren't we? Yeah. And it took a lot of time, too. To shrink it? Well, to eat that much. Oh, to eat that much. It did. It really did. And and whenever I'm really, really busy and don't have to stop, you know, to eat, 
I appreciate, you know, how much time it would have taken to prepare the meals and clean up from the meals, always thinking about what to eat next. So it's a real time saver. So you started and you just gradually shrunk it. And then you said about two months later, that's when your husband joined you? Yeah. And his blood sugar, he had like diabetes, like a hemoglobin scores of 10.5 or something when he was diagnosed. And then blood sugars that were really high and was napping constantly. He had to nap every day after lunch, like had to. And then his glycohemoglobin in like three months was six point something. Wow. And then five point something three months later. That's amazing. Yeah. What, did he also change what he was eating or did he just introduce fasting? He stopped eating soda or drinking sodas. Okay. And was he drinking sugary sodas or diet sodas? Sugary sodas, I think. Okay. And his doctor gave him really good advice not to drink any soda ever, including diet sodas. So that was, I was really proud of him for that. Good. So he quit all sugars or all sodas, I mean. All sodas. But then he moved in with me and I'm vegan. And so there wasn't going to be any meat in the house. So he started eating vegetarian. He still eats eggs though for breakfast. Okay. And what does his fasting approach look like today? He eats at like nine in the morning and stops around four or five and has a snack in between. So he'll have breakfast, a snack, and then dinner. So he's got a a pretty long eating window as far as that goes. I'm trying to do the math. It's it's about an eight-hour eating window, right? Yep. Does that seem about right? So, you know, for, for a man that... A lot of men do well with an eight-hour eating window. Yeah. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by by Optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for clean eating, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, responsibly sourced proteins, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that fit in beautifully to my cleanish lifestyle, and the food is totally window-worthy. Tonight, we're having barbecue sweet potato tacos with cabbage and carrot slaw, black beans, corn, and cheesy tortillas, and they come with Green Chef's chimichurri sauce. So good. Go to greenchef.com slash ifstories50 and use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash ifstories50. And don't forget to use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. So his A1C has come way down. How how quickly did that happen? In six months, it was normal. Wow. And he just switched to being being a vegetarian at that same time? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think that was what it was necessarily. But he ate more vegetables with me. I, well, I think that could certainly help if you're eating foods that work well for your body versus, you know, prior to that, was he just eating, you know, the standard American diet? Yeah, like processed, like meatballs that you shake out of a frozen bag and right. spaghetti, pretty much. I think there's a lot to be said. Probably, I, I would think, you know, the fasting played a, a big part, a huge part. But I bet switching to a, a more vegetarian with high-quality foods, like he, he's eating actual – I mean, you could be a junk food vegetarian, but he's not a junk food vegetarian, right? He eats good, high-quality food. I bet that played a big role. Yeah. The power of good food. And cooking, 
from the beginning from scratch. Mm-hmm. So do you have the same fasting schedule that he has? No, I do not lose weight on an eight hour eating window and I want to lose yeah. weight. So <laughs> right. it's unfair. He lost 60 pounds and I've lost 50 and I have to work so much harder at it. Right. But. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the joy of being a woman. Yeah. <laughs> we do have to work harder. So I eat on days off. I eat around two-ish and just have a good sized meal until I'm full. And then that's it. And on work days, because I work 12 hour days, really 12 and a half with a lunch break and a 45 minute commute each way. I'm gone for 14 and a half hours every day. So, and with COVID, I don't really want to eat at work because there's no place to eat alone. So I've been eating after work and right before bed. And I don't like that as much, but it works. So by the time you get home from work, what time is it? 8 p.m. Okay. So you're not eating all day at work and then you're eating at 8 p.m. Yeah. Sometimes I snack a tiny bit at work, but Mm -hmm. not much. And then you you have to get up early still? Are you still waking up really early? Yeah, four. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that is a tricky schedule. It can be difficult when you have a a work schedule like yours where where it's not convenient to open your window because I like to open my window late afternoon now with the with a hearty snack and then dinner later and if I were you know work would really cramp my style if I was somewhere and couldn't eat so I get it it does and even if you don't have COVID and you do eat at work you have a half hour lunch break and you just have to eat as fast as you can for half an hour so you have to get soft foods that you don't have time to chew right. you know it's just kind of a distressing atmosphere to eat in. Oh, that just sent me back to teaching day, the days of teaching. We had a 30-minute lunch break, except ours actually was less than 30 minutes because we had to, that include the children had 30 minutes. So we would get them to the cafeteria, get them through the lunch line, get them seated, run eat our lunch really, really fast, go to the bathroom, do anything you needed to do. But because you had to be back to pick those kids up at the end of their scheduled lunchtime. So we had what was called a, quote, duty-free lunch in Georgia. But it was not. And, and it was not 30 minutes if we were lucky it was. But yeah, there, that I, I am familiar with trying to shovel in a lunch in a very brief period of time. Yeah, it's hard. It's not easy. And also, it's not going to be good food. I mean, you're just not going to be able to have a good quality. You're certainly not able to cook something. It's going to be microwaved or something you bring from home. So yeah, that's part of part of the frustration. Yeah. And if I eat in the evening now, I can have a salad that I have time to chew. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Right. That is nice. So, but you're a vegan. Yeah. Now, how long have you been a vegan? Since I was 21, I became vegan. And not for okay. health at all. I was a junk food vegan at the beginning. Okay. Was it for an ethical reasons? You're a vegan for ethical reasons? Yeah. Okay. I don't know how old you are. I, it's hard to tell. How long have you been a vegan? Uh, 27 years. I'm 48. 27 years. Okay. Okay. So you've been you've been a vegan for a long time and you feel great eating that way and it works really well for you. Yeah. And I mean, I just, it doesn't matter. I wouldn't eat any other way anyway. That'll, yeah, I get it. I get it. Because you're you're choosing it because it, it's how you feel is the right way to, to be with the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Environmentally. Environmentally. Too. But eating less, you know, is also environmentally sound. It is. So that's true. I'm double dipping in the climate change lifestyle. That's true. We're all, all the intermittent fasters, we're living a a more sustainable lifestyle because we don't need as much food. We don't need to eat as frequently. And that's great for the environment and the, the planet in so many ways. You know, people don't often think about that or talk about that. Yeah. But I I think it's important. So tell us about your overall struggles with weight and, you know, going back to the the earliest days of it. Have you struggled with weight your whole life or was it as an adult that it just happened? I remember when you're a kid, you're less aware of it. Although I remember hating what I looked like, but I think that was more just general upbringing. But when I was 16, my I think 15, my grandmother told my mother that I needed to lose weight. So, and I overheard that. So I know that I must have been somewhat overweight. And my grandfather chose either 
every child was either stupid or fat in our household. And since I wasn't, or in his, all his grandchildren. In his mind. Yeah. He, he felt that. Okay. Yeah. So he'd call us either stupid or fat. And so, so he'd call me fat and hmm, any of the anorexic. That's got to be hard. Yeah. And any of the really skinny cousins he'd call stupid. So, but he was hoping we wouldn't be stupid or fat if he told us these things, I think. Yeah, I, that was his like very clumsy and terrible way <laughs> yeah. to motivate you, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, I do look back and think how many people said terrible things to to us when we were young because they really were trying to help, but it yeah. just was really not the right way to do it. <laughs> it didn't so, work, yeah. No, it, it's it's not ever going to help to tell a child that, right? <laughs> yeah, especially with your work as a psychiatric nurse, I'm sure you know that's like the worst thing you can do is to plant those seeds because children are like, oh God, I'm stupid. Oh, oh I'm that's awful. Well, I'm, right. I'm really sad for the the young sunshine that and all Thank of your you. cousins. That that makes me sad. So, around 15 or 16, suddenly you get the idea you need to lose some weight. So, what was teenage sunshine doing for that? Nothing, because I didn't know what to do. And I, my mother was not a dieter at all. She was kind of in the phase of loving your body, no matter what it was like. So she focused more on that. So I didn't get a lot of that, but I did have it like harboring in my mind that I was overweight. Well, that's good. Well, it's, it's good that you weren't like, you know, plunged into the, you know, some kind of a terrible diet mindset. And it's also great that your mom loved her body and taught you to love your body. That's yeah. important. So many she, of us don't get that. I didn't get that from my mother. Yeah. She tried to. I don't think she was as effective as she was hoping to be, but she mm-hmm. wanted to. So, and I think she, you know, she still wants to lose weight now. So I don't think she was successful, but she really tried. It was kind of a movement in those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I think that's important. I think it, it's really a movement now. And the whole, you know, health at every size, body positivity, love yourself. It's almost to the point that it's such a movement. Now, I had a, a guest on, was it McKenna, who talked about if she's in college, college age and how she felt guilty for wanting to lose weight. I remember she felt that. Like she, yeah, she was so ingrained on feeling like we're supposed to love our bodies no matter what. So wanting to lose weight made her feel guilty. So I, I think we have to... We have to honor the feeling of you can love your body and recognize that losing weight, you'll feel better. You know, because I, I know that, you know, in periods of time when I was heavier, it didn't feel good. It, it felt bad to be, you know, shoved into my clothes. They, they felt too tight all the time. And it was hard to move through life. So we can, we can accept that and honor that we feel better when we're at a healthier size. So, so when was your first diet? I think it was in my 30s when I started to gain weight, like for real. So I lived in San Francisco for a long time and rode a bicycle everywhere. Like that was my transit. So I couldn't, you know, no matter what I ate, I don't think I could have gotten super big. I just rode like 25 miles a day, just getting here and there. So I was pretty strong and healthy there. And then when I moved to Maine, I got a car because it's everything's further. You have to, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, whoa. And I just got bigger and bigger and got plantar fasciitis and just like everything just got worse. And sadly, I had surgery before I fixed my plant. Like I had surgery for plantar fasciitis. So I wasn't able to fast and get rid of it that way. But I hear people succeed with that. Okay. So the the surgery, yeah, that we do hear that all the time, but the, the surgery helped with your plantar fasciitis. Yep. Yep. But you're right. You know, Making a shift from a very active lifestyle and then suddenly that that changes. Your body's like, all right, I guess I can <laughs> do something different now. Yeah. So that's when the weight started to started to, to come on. So um, what did you do about it at that time? I just quit sugar. I'd be like, I'm going to quit sugar. I know sugar's bad for you. And I still know sugar's bad for you. But quitting sugar was just so hard. Just It is hard. Quitting sugar. So I never did for very long. I quit it for four days or something. Mm-hmm. And then I'd eat it again. And once I'm like, I'm going to eat sugar, I'm just going to eat as much as I can. You know, it just <laughs> it was either on or off. I couldn't do a moderate. I get it. And, you know, there are 
some foods that some of us do have to to be that way about. You know, I am okay at moderating most things. You know, I can have a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but like chips and dip, can't have those in the house because I'm going to eat the whole bag. I'm going to eat all the chips, all the dip, just for whatever reason. I have no off switch with those. And I do know that sugar is one of those things for a lot of people. But you still include it now? Just are yeah. you able to moderate it? Yeah, really easily. Everything's easy now. Because I good, good. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, that that's exciting. You know, some people do find even with intermittent fasting that you know they still have no off switch when it comes to the sugar. Or, you know, like I said, it could be chips and dip. It could be cheese and crackers. There's just, it could be anything that you can identify as just, you know, your trigger food. But it's not easy. So you you just quit sugar off and on, but it wasn't successful. Yeah. And I try to, like, exercise more, but it was hard. I mean, I was teaching also. I was a teacher at one time, too. So I had a little more time to exercise. And I got a dog and I'd walk her, like, four miles a day. But it just, you can't do that every day. It's just no. Were you teaching in in a nursing program? No, middle school, just regular. Okay. Oh, so you're a middle school teacher. So you haven't always been a nurse when you were in San Francisco. Were you a nurse then? No, I went to undergrad school and worked at a coffee shop making. Okay. So you, you became a nurse later in life. Yeah. Okay. 40. I've been a nurse for like five years, I think. Oh, wow. That's exciting. I love to hear about later in life career changes. So you, how long did you teach? Eight years. Okay. So that was a later in life thing too. And I got rift from the budget, like, or cut from the budget mm-hmm. and then went into the Red Cross. I worked there for a little while and that got me into nursing. Okay. Patient. So you had to go back to school and. Yeah, it was hard, but it was worth it. We feel like we're rusty and we're out of practice with with learning. But I really think adult learners, you know, for anybody who's listening, if you're, you know, older and you're thinking about, you know, your career's not working out for you, of course, when you have a reduction in force, that's something that you can't help. But if you just are not loving your career, I think adult learners are more motivated than younger learners. Let me just put it that way. I think we're better students. My husband says that. You know, he's a college professor and his adult the, the older students are so much more dedicated. Yeah. But I really admire you for going back and and starting another career. My so do you love said, it? I do I love nursing. I love it's similar to teaching, especially psychiatric nursing probably. And I just like with teaching there's no boundaries between work and home. You take your work literally with you in a bag home and you do all your work at home and then with nursing you clock in and you clock out you leave and you go home right that is definitely a a difference but you're right I think the same type of person that is attracted to teaching is the same person who would be attracted to nursing in so many ways because it's a nurturing kind of profession so what what was your friend you started to say something and I interrupted you with a new thought what did your friend say I think I was 40 or 39 when I started nursing school. And I was like, oh, I'm too old. It's a two-year program. And he's like, in two years, how old are you going to be? Whether or not you go to nursing school or something. I forget what he said. But I was like, okay, fine. I'll go. <laughs> yeah. The two years will pass anyway. Right. You might as well get that. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad that you did it. And I'm glad that, that you love it and that it's something you're going to do long term. You see yourself doing that. Yes. I like nursing a lot. Yeah. So you know the whole, when I was talking about teachers and their lunch breaks, you understand that too from from past experience. Yeah, that's that's great. So what did your weight do over those decades? You know, you said in your 30s, you started to gain. Did you ever get a handle on it or did it just keep going up and up? It went down when I did a lot of walking. But I was always, once I got a car, I became a or I became overweight and stayed overweight or obese. And then with time, I became a, like morbid obesity, the scale above regular obese. Right. Would you be willing to share how high your weight got? Yeah. It's I'm hard, six sometimes feet, it's hard to... S- okay. I'm six feet tall and I was 272. Okay. So pretty heavy. And it was hard. Yeah. You know, my body was big. It's it's really hard to do things when you're when you're obese. And people who have not ever been, 
you know, past that, you know, overweight threshold, they just really don't get it. I mean, it, yeah. things like clipping your toenails. Yeah, I was able to reach your shoes my whole on. body, but my knees mm-hmm. hurt so much, like all the time, my knees would hurt. And so I'd walk and it hurt. So you don't want to walk, right? you know, constant pain. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. You need to walk, but it hurts to walk. So you can't because right. you're, you're moving that weight through the through the world every yeah. minute. I remember that. And you're so tired. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would take a lot more naps also in those mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. But when you started intermittent fasting, had you already lost some weight prior to that? Because you were not 272 at that time, were you? I was in okay, okay. January. Yeah. Okay. Of okay. So you started. Okay. So you started at, at 272. And have, did you say you've lost about 50 pounds so far? Yeah. So now I'm 218 today. I'm overweight now. I'm in the high end of overweight, technically. <laughs> Well, it's a good feeling. You know, crossing those boundaries feels great. I remember the day that I got on the scale and I was no longer obese. I was overweight. It felt good. The word obese just feels harsh to say. And it felt so much better to be overweight. And then the day that I crossed the threshold from overweight to normal weight felt really good as well. And it's just, you know, no matter what that number says, just that label was really hard to hard to have. So you've lost it, I guess, would you say about half a pound a week? On average, probably, yeah. At the beginning, I lost, I think the first two months, I lost 20 pounds. It was like, boom. And, she lost it quickly. Yeah. At first. And then I plateaued for like six months. And I, there was no way I was going to do alternate day fasting. So I just hung out. <laughs> and maybe I will someday, but I'm still not there yet. I get. Well, I get it. So hungry. So. Mm-hmm. By the end of the I day. don't want you to, to feel like you have to, you know, don't don't feel like you have to do alternate daily fasting. And also, don't forget that alternate day fasting can, you know, you can eat that 500 calorie meal. Right. And that might work better with your schedule than you than you think, because, you know, you're working till eight or getting home and eating at eight. The down day with the 500 calorie meal, I bet you could do that and very easily of course the next day you would have to have an up day so i'd have to do it on the day when i had the day off the next day right you could totally that is what i would recommend for you to do when you know you have a day off know that you need to have a a 500 calorie meal the day before and then the next day is your up day make sure you eat at least two meals that day i bet that would get things going i'll check into that yeah i'm I'm going again now because you're losing again the weight's coming down yeah the plateau just lasted and lasted, and I'm not sure why. And then it stopped. When did it stop? Like what month? I lost very little weight from March. It was COVID. I knew it. March <laughs> of 2020. And, and then when did the weight start moving again? It started in July. See, I, I knew that's what you were going to say. I really want people to to understand that whatever happened to our bodies during those stressful months from March until whenever the stress, you know, lifted, it, it may, may not have lifted yet for, for some people. But that was very, very real. And, and it, was, it was traumatic, even if you didn't realize it. Just the word pandemic. Yeah. Just say pandemic. And it's just, and you're in healthcare. So I bet it was even more traumatic for you, not knowing what was happening, what to expect. And so our bodies respond to that type of stress by holding on to the, the weight, you know, our, our stress hormones, the cortisol goes up and, and we may gain weight or just, you know, plateau like you did. And it, it's just our body's, you know, survival mechanism. Yep. And it's not an indication that anything's wrong with you or that intermittent fasting has stopped working or it's just physiology. And understanding that can, can really help a lot of people to feel like, oh, okay, it's normal. This is this is what I went through. So I'm glad that in July your body felt a a relief. Yeah. Even though <laughs> you may not have realized. I got it. back in the kayak. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, that's huge too. Just and I bet you get a great sense of well being in the kayak. I do. It's very peaceful and lovely. You know, I've been in intermittent fasting groups since 2014, and this is the first time this whole COVID experience is the first time we've had you know people who have been in maintenance for years suddenly gaining. And it was it's very eye opening to see. You know, even I, I had some gain. I don't I don't weigh, but my honesty pants got tight. Yeah. 
And was it the stress? Was it the extra baking and drinking? Was it all of it together? Probably. But luckily, my honesty pants are back to normal. But (laughs) I am curious what the scale was said during that time. But of course, I didn't weigh, so I'll never know. But well, I'm glad that that the weight loss has resumed. So are you losing about half a pound a week, pound a week? What would you say? I still think about half a pound to a pound Mm -hmm. a week. It's still slow, but it's I'm fine with that because it's just happening and I feel good. My knee pain is completely gone. So it can be 40 degrees and raining outside. And I used to know that in my knees and now I don't, I'm not aware of that kind of thing anymore. That's huge. It's, it's probably a combination of less inflammation and also less weight on your knees. Would you say that's true? Yeah. And also I'm finding like, this is sudden, but I'm finding fasting. Maybe it's the psychology of being only overweight. But I think there's something too metabolically about fasting just suddenly got easier. I'm less oh, hungry. That's good. And my appetite is smaller suddenly. Then that just happened all of a sudden. Yeah. Recently in the past couple of weeks. And I'm just Well, that's good. Yeah, it's just all easier. Your body's happy. And you can't think of anything else that changed at that time? I was trying to eat in the morning before work mm-hmm. at like five in the morning so that I wouldn't have to eat after work and maybe switching my window around so much like two o'clock in the afternoon on days off maybe that was messing with me and when I, I bet because I know that it's okay mm-hmm. that would make a huge difference for me because I know even now if I eat early I'm hungry all day yeah the people who have the morning window bless them they really they feel better with the morning window and I believe them that they do I it was not my sweet spot ever yeah so you talked about your knee pain. What other um, health victories have you had or non-scale victories? I just have so much more energy. Like I'll, we stacked wood and I, like for four hours I stacked wood and didn't have to lay on the floor afterward. You know, awesome. it was normal after that. And the next day I was okay too. And I'm just more n- normal about food. Like, I'm not trying to quit sugar anymore. I'm not worried about, like, I don't measure my, I measured my spaghetti in a measuring device at one time. So that was maybe one of my diet tricks was to reduce my food intake to whatever Mm -hmm. a serving was. Right. I don't do that. Like, it's just normal. I just eat what I want to and vegetables. I try to eat a lot of those and then Mm -hmm. stop when I'm hungry and put the rest in a container and eat it tomorrow or something. Yeah, I think that's the best part for me as well, because I don't want to eat a predetermined amount of something. You know, a serving for me is the amount that it takes for me to be satisfied. And it's not always the same. Sometimes, you know, last night I ate a small dinner, but I had a very huge snack. (laughs) But at dinner time, you know, I made our our meal and it was supposed to serve two. And I was like, "Mm, I don't need to eat half of that. I'll be too full. So I ate way less than that and save the rest for my husband to eat today for lunch. But some days I need more food and it's just a matter of stopping when satisfied, regardless of what the portion is. It's it's freeing. Yeah. You just have no idea. No more measuring. Have your tastes in food changed at all? I know that you've been vegan the whole time. You mentioned you being more of that junk food vegan before. Has that changed with fasting or did it just happen prior to fasting? I think I'm craving simple carbs, less processed carbohydrates. But I mean, I still eat them and enjoy them. But I'm not like, I need sugar tonight and a dessert tonight. So if I'm full, I won't eat a dessert. If I'm still hungry, I'll eat a dessert. Yeah. And it's just, I don't care if I eat a dessert or not. I don't worry that I missed out. You know, I'm not like that anymore. So it's either way. You can take it or leave it if you have it. You feel fine and not stressed out about the fact that you did have it. Or if you don't have it, you're like, Oop, I just don't want that today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that. My husband and I are enjoying these smoothies lately, and we're closing our windows with them a lot of nights. And they're you know, made with really high-quality ingredients. They're like dessert because you know, they're sweet, but they don't have any sugar. But some nights, he's like, are we having a smoothie? I'm like, I don't want a smoothie. I'm full. Yeah. <laughs> and other nights, I'm like, we're having a smoothie. He'll have one anytime if I make it. He's got a, a, a he loves a little something sweet after dinner, but sometimes you just don't feel like it. And that's okay, too. How about your husband? What health benefits besides the A1C going down? What has he seen? He also, he doesn't nap anymore. 
he just wakes up in the morning, has all this energy. He, like when I met him, he just couldn't, I was like, I was going to be the one that went outside and did all the work and he Mm -hmm. would stay inside and make music and write or whatever he did. But he like, wasn't physically active at all. And I was like, is he a musician? Yeah. He plays the accordion. Okay. Cause I, I saw, a, is that a guitar behind you? Yeah. It's his guitar. Yep. And I see a microphone so behind yeah. you as well on a, on a boom. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, all right, somebody in that family is a musician. <laughs> yeah. So. Not me. <laughs> so he wakes up with, the, with energy. Is that what he does for a job? He's a musician for a job or? He works as a consultant for educators to make um, okay. learning and assessment more equitable, like Okay. Racially equitable, economically equitable, like amongst kids. So like more authentic assessment that makes oh, I sense love that. for them instead of like testing. The bubble tests, yeah. right? The, I've thought about teachers a lot during the pandemic and how that's changed. You know, the way they're doing everything with standardized testing, I guess, being on hold, at least here in Georgia. So that I, I think that's a good thing. And I hope that that trend continues. I hope the the pandemic teaches the whole education community that we don't have to be so crazy about our measuring everything. Yeah, that would be nice. I think it comes from it would like, be so nice. Like from the federal and state governments more than the teachers. Oh, I, I could tell you when it started. It started with No Child Left Behind. And you know, the the whole idea of No Child Left Behind is is a good one. It was that we're going to expect every child to learn and we're no longer going to say, you know, you talked about your husband looking for you know equity that was the whole point of no child left behind was bringing equitable outcomes to all and no longer saying oh that's just you know he's not going to be able to do anything we're not even going to try with that kid because that really was the the mindset towards so many of our kids and that was wrong and so it shifted away from that and now you know, the whole idea was no child's going to be left behind all children can learn and we're going to expect them to and so really I saw amazing changes when the way with the way we were working to reach our underserved kids. But then it kind of spun out of control and became a machine, the whole testing machine, which was not the intention. And it, it got out of hand. And so when I left education, it was very frustrating for a lot of teachers who just really wanted to teach children. Instead, we were teaching for an outcome on a test. And, and that was hard. So he's doing good work then. Yeah. He likes it. That's good. I, I really do, like I said, look forward to see how it, it changes after the pandemic. I hope we realize we don't have to be quite so. <laughs> anyway, we want to teach all children and reach all children, but we don't want to overmeasure everything. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Well, I'm, I'm glad that he's doing well. What has his doctor said? They're amazed, and the endocrinologist sent him back to the PCP, and so he doesn't have to see a specialist anymore. And that's awesome. He's fine. Yeah. So was the endocrinologist a fan of fasting? I think she was ambivalent to it. I went to his appointment because I was like reading 
your book. And I, so I was like grilling her and he's like, excuse me, I'm the patient here. I have all these <laughs> questions about That's it. That's really funny. Yeah. But I love it. So at what point along the way did you find Delay Don't Deny? That was right at the beginning. Somehow. Okay. So you found it early. Like right when I got obesity code. I think maybe when I searched for obesity code on Amazon for him, I saw Delay Don't Deny and bought yeah, it. Because Amazon likes to recommend, you know, oh, people who bought this also bought that. And then they'll give you those <laughs> those recommendations. Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm glad. Your book was amazing. And it like changed my life and made fasting like doable. Oh, thank you. Like the daily eating window. I was like, oh, I can eat every day. Like that sounds great. And I didn't feel deprived like I did with the 5-2, especially because I was like eating a pickle every hour or whatever with right. the 5-2 diet because there was no... Oh, yeah, I remember a, that. It was awful. And I was so hungry after every pickle. I was like, I want more. <laughs> well, it really wasn't fasting, which is funny when you look, go back at it. They called it fasting, but you were eating, really, you could eat all day long, little bits. It was like, it was really more calorie cycling than anything. Yeah. But, you know, I, that was why I actually, one of the reasons why I wrote Delay Don't Deny is I had just read the obesity code. This was 2016. And I read the obesity code. And I was so excited for the obesity code to come out because we all were anticipating it, all of us that you know had been reading Jason Fung's blog. But it didn't really tell you what to do so much. It had a little bit in the back, the appendix, but it was kind of an alternate day fasting plan. And he really didn't talk about daily eating windows or what to do. And I'm like, there's really no what to do in the book. So it's like we really need a what a what to do book that puts the science in there and then tells you what to do. And so that that's why I was inspired to write Delay Don't Deny. And I'm glad that that helped you with the what to do. Have you read Fast Feast Repeat yet? I did. Oh, yeah. It's, I pre-ordered it in February as soon as I could. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm really proud of that one. I think that one is way better than Delay Don't Deny. Yeah, it's so scientific. And I bought six copies or seven. And I bought it. <laughs> I bought it on Audible and Kindle, and then I bought six or seven paper wow. copies so I could distribute them around to people. Well, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it because my goal is really to reach a lot of people. My husband and I had a fight about it this morning because he still can't understand why. You know, because I I made more money from Delay Don't Deny per copy because it was self published. And he's like, "Why did you publish it with a traditional publisher when you could be?" And I'm like, "Because I want to reach more people." You know, that, that's really my goal. You know, it's in Target now, and I want people to find it that didn't know they were looking for it. And with Delay Don't Deny, you, you, unless, you know, Amazon recommended it, less people were going to find it. So my goal is for more people to discover the magic of intermittent fasting and change their life. Yeah, it's so helpful. So thank you. Thank you for spreading that. I appreciate it. So do you talk about it at work? All the time. My poor coworkers <laughs> and my friends. Uh, <laughs> How many of them have you recruited to the fasting life? One person I've completely recruited. Another person bought Fast Feast Repeat because she watched me lose weight. So she just bought her own copy and is reading it. And then she's going to hopefully start it. I've given it. I loaned it out again to a couple people who are considering it. I think they're afraid. Like it's hard yeah. to start. Mm -hmm. It is. And there's a, a saying that I didn't I didn't make it up. I don't know who originated it, but I love it and I say it all the time. But you know, dieting is easy in contemplation and hard in execution and fasting is the opposite. It's hard in contemplation, but easy in execution. It sounds like it's gonna be so awful. Oh, I can't eat. I was somebody, I don't know, somebody tagged me in a, a comment in Facebook just this morning. And it might have been, I might have been like, you know how famous people will, it might be someone who's well-known had made a post about gone to the doctor and because it was a public kind of a post. They'd been to the doctor and the doctor suggested they do like 20, a 20 hour fast. And they're like, oh my God, that sounds so awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it does probably sound awful. You're, you know, you're just living your life and eating normally like everybody else, which is, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. And the doctor says fast for 20 hours. And you're like, what? So somebody tagged me in there and said, no, you need to read, you know, fast, feast, repeat. And it's, yeah. it's not that wacky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once you start doing it. 
And you don't have to jump in, boom, to 20 hours. Oh, yeah. You can ease your way I in. would not recommend that you just start with, you know, one day you wake up and fast for 22 hours. No, that's not probably the way to do it. But, you know, it's just getting the perception out there. One, it's a healthy way to live, not starvation. You're not starving yourself. You're fueling yourself well with stored fat during the fast. And then during your eating window, you're you're giving your body nutrients. It's not extreme. And, you know, I think every year we're just going to see it grow and grow. Yeah. And people hear about it. Like I recommended it to another coworker who's having health issues. And she's like, oh, I've heard about it. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, listen. And I, because I've run out of copies of any books. So I was like, these are the books <laughs> you want to read. Read these books, but get your own. <laughs> right. <laughs> if they get their own, maybe they'll feel more invested because they've, yeah. they've bought this book and now they're going to they're gonna read it. I get it. But yeah, I really think if we just keep talking about it and stress the importance of the clean fast, because I really think a lot of people have heard about it and then maybe they watched a YouTube or something and then they started doing it. And just like you, when you started with Michael Mosley's 5-2, there was no clean fasting, and it was really just eating a pickle every hour, right? Right. You know, That's how I eat. interpret it. Yeah. And it was miserable. I mean, I could remember the same thing when I was, you know, those early days of doing the alternate day fasting protocols and not really understanding what was fasting and, you know, having, I think I was having lattes. You know, I had this Tassimo latte maker, and it was, you could have a, a skinny latte, and it was 70 calories. Yeah. So you could have, you know, a few of those and and then a little tiny meal, and that was less than 500 calories. But you were never probably getting into the fasted state because you were just kind of nursing those little things all throughout the day. And I remember it being miserable. Yeah, it's awful to eat small amounts of food throughout the day. So anybody who's tried it, and if you were not fasting clean, now you know that was why it was hard. That's why it, quote, didn't work. That's why you didn't like it. So try the clean fast. Take the clean fast challenge. Yeah, and it, it will change it, everything. It really does. And so thank you, Jen, for teaching me that. Like you're, I was like, there's two people who have changed my life the most and it's you and my husband. And so. Oh, well, that makes me, thank you. Thank you. True. Well, I appreciate that a whole lot. It makes me, it's why I'm put on this earth. Yeah. Just to hopefully to, to spread this word. So is there anything that you struggle with, with intermittent fasting? I struggled with the window or still I do on work days, like when to eat. Yeah. But I don't, I think I struggled anyway, even both like before fasting, how to eat on a work day. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. I think so. Yeah. It's 12 hours. They're great for four days off a week, but they're not good for. So you, or do you work three days? You work three twelves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fantastic. I like that part. But are they back to back? Sometimes, sometimes I do five in a row. I want a long stretch of time off. So it just depends. But it's my friend Sherry, who is doing the Life Lessons podcast with me. She has a similar schedule. She does three overnights or two to three, sometimes four, depending on whether she's picking up extra shifts. But yeah, she's had to figure out hers is overnight. Yours is not overnight. No, overnights are way harder. Mm -hmm. I think I was fasting a little before I started overnight and then it was just like, forget this. Like I'm, I can't do anything if I'm working overnight. I don't think I could do the overnights just with the the way my my sleep chronotype and the way that I like to wake up early and go to bed early. I don't, I think I'd physically not be able to make it. Yeah. I just went to the beach with college friends and, you know, we stayed up later. I wasn't drinking alcohol at all. I had my first alcohol-free trip completely and felt fabulous, except that I was up until maybe like one one night we stayed up late. We were playing games and having fun. And then the next morning I felt like I was hit by a truck and I hadn't been drinking. It was just the whole staying up really late. My body's like, uh-uh. <laughs> so you asked what makes fasting, what's hard about fasting too. Right. And it was hard at the beginning because I was like, I think I was like, oh, I have to deprive myself of food for 20 hours or whatever. And I was like, I can't eat until noon or two or whatever time frame I'd set for myself. And now I see it differently. I'm just like, oh, this is my time for more energy and for going like more movement. Because when I'm fasted, I can walk. Everything's just physically easier to do. So it's easier to shovel snow when you're fasted. 
So it's just time to get things done instead of. I love that. You made that mind shift swap that I talk about in Fast Feast Repeat. Instead of telling yourself, you you can't, I can't eat, I can't. You, you shift it and you say, oh, this is my body's healing and repair time. This is when I have the energy. And so you you learn to appreciate the fast for what it is. Yes, very much. Instead of that I can't eat. It also made me realize how much food is just entertainment for me. It, it's pleasure. It's entertainment. It's eating for more reasons than just physical hunger. Yes. And that we don't need to do that. That was a big shift for me. Because I, I really love food. I love to eat. I enjoy it. But I also love feeling great. And you realize you love feeling great more than you need that that entertainment from the food, at least with me. Yeah. And that's what's so great about, for me, the daily eating window is that you get both. You get to feel great. And then you have your treat of food towards the end of the day. Yeah. I haven't skipped a day of eating. I haven't done a longer fast where I didn't eat a whole day since 2016. So it's it's been a while for me. I think if I did decide to go back to any kind of alternate day fasting ever, and I, I don't think I will, unless, you know, I don't need to lose weight, but if suddenly I felt like I needed to, I would probably do the 500 calorie down day. So give that a, give that a, a try if, if, if it feels right. And then let me know if you try it. I will. And let me know how it goes. Do it the day before you have a day off and then make sure to get those two good meals in there. But I bet you might like it better than you think. And you might realize once you you know purposefully have a 500-calorie down day, you might realize that some of your regular days are more close to that than you realize. So maybe you need to throw in some up days. That might help a lot. Some people are just really surprised. You know, it, it's counterintuitive eating more leading to better weight loss. But that metabolic boost of the up day, that might be just what your body needs. I will. I'll try that on the Saturday. I have Saturday. Think it through. It's a work day. All right. so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, are coming towards the end of our time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or what do you wish you knew when you first started? I wish I knew about the clean fast. So just clean fast. It's just not a negotiable option to not, you have to clean fast. And then if you need inspiration, you're just like, ah, today I'm hungry, you know, and I want to, especially at the beginning, I feel like now I honor my body, but especially at the beginning, I was trying to just do the fast. I listened to your podcasts, like just constantly, especially the stories I found the most helpful. And then get an audible fast feast repeat book and just listen to it and go to the mindset chapter if you need to remind yourself about mindset or whatever you need to do. Or you need to look at the health benefits so you can sit there hungry or be like, ah, these are the health benefits I'm getting right now. Right. Exactly. So when you remember why we're fasting, and it's not just to lose the weight, although, of course, we all you know, want to lose the weight if that's something we're struggling with. That is a goal. That's something we want. But there's so much more than that. If we remember that, you know, because sometimes people will say intermittent fasting, I don't think it's working. You know, you could have said that during that period of time when you were plateaued. You could have said, why did intermittent fasting, quote, stop working? Right. But was it? Did it stop working? No. It was working in your body, even though you didn't lose any weight for those months. Right. It was still working behind the scenes, doing a lot of valuable things. So, you know, a lot of people gained weight during that period of time, people who were not doing intermittent fasting and some intermittent fasters as well. But it was definitely working in your body. It never stops. Well, Sunshine, it has been fabulous to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you so much. And keep me posted. I'll see you around the groups. Okay. Bye. Bye. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on.
Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. It's winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The GOAT, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 